Welcome to another episode of the Work in Progress podcast. Uh, today we got another special guest. His name is Bobby Morgan, and he's going to be telling us a little bit about his experiences. Uh, today's topic, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a people's engineer. So stay tuned. All right. Uh, welcome to the show, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Good, good. It's uh, we're at the time that we're recording this. It's that awkward time between years, you know. Uh, so I'm I'm just trying to make the most out of it. Alan, how are you doing, my man? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Hanging in there as well. <laughs> it's not not quite end of 2020 yet, so I'm just waiting for aliens to show up. <laughs> right. Oh man, some crazy, crazy stuff. I I'm in the same boat. I just cannot wait until this year is over. Uh, what have you been up to, Bobby? Uh, you know, got a four month old at home, so just you know, living every day, seeing how much he grows from day to day. It's really yeah. been the majority of my time. <laughs> Congratulations on that, man. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, so tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm an engineering manager at a late stage startup. Um, been doing management for a little over a year now, but uh, before that, my whole background is back end uh, engineering, mostly Java background. So, you know, joined this company as a back end engineer and then had the opportunity to move into management and decided to jump into that. But, you know, before that, had been at a bunch of other companies just hacking java together into microservices to to power different companies nice man so, yeah so you're pretty experienced at this point right overall uh, <laughs> sure you know it's you it's one of those things you never feel like you're totally experienced you know it's that imposter syndrome really never goes away yeah yeah imposter syndrome is such a like a, a a recurring theme with so many of our episodes um like i know alan you feel pretty similar Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think, um, I probably told folks in another episode, I just got, uh, the senior title added onto my engineer, uh, title and it just, it just doesn't feel right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's always weird when you get that new title added to you and you're just like, I'm doing the same thing I was already doing, but it it feels like everything you do has a little more weight to it and you know, you have to do more. I'm more accountable. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I'm I'm the guy everyone blames now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, even before that, I I feel like Bobby, you have been in a few positions where you know you sort of took responsibility yourself, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's taking on responsibility is always kind of a scary but fun thing to do, you know, no matter where you are in your career, you know, you can be fresh out of college or code school on your first job, but if you see a lack of ownership or responsibility being taken in an area, you know, there's no better way to really assert yourself as a subject matter expert than, you know, jumping in and saying, hey, I got this. If something's up with this thing, come to me, I'll figure it out. Yeah. I like the way you phrase that so much, man. It's it's like, if something happens, come to me, I'll figure it out. 
Like you're not even telling people like, yo, I can fix all the problems. I got all of this on, on, you know, I've got this all figured out already. You're just telling them like, hey, you know, if it, if something goes wrong, you can come to me and I, I will figure out what to do. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, one thing that happens is if, you know, you're just kind of perusing Slack channels at a company and you see, you know, people coming up with these resolutions of problems, you're like, oh, that person, they know every single thing that's going on. And really, you're not seeing the process that they're going through of like, oh, this is broken. I have never done anything with this. I'm going to flail for about two hours, not update the Slack channel, figure it out, and then give my resolution. Yeah. And, and is that something that you see frequently just with yourself or with others? And yeah, definitely. You know, it's, yeah, it's a common thing. It's, you know, it's definitely nothing malicious of like, I'm going to hoard my knowledge from everyone. It's just more of, you know, you start going down that rabbit hole, trying to figure out what's going on. You kind of forget that, you know, if it's some critical production issue that other people are looking for updates as you're jumping through, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you ever run into uh, a case where you do resolve something and where, where no one else was jumping in to, to help at all, but your resolution ended up getting torn apart by other engineers? <laughs> oh, yeah. All the time. You know, there's so many times where you're just, especially if it's some high profile thing, you're just putting a bandaid on there. And, you know, it's totally never meant to be anything future proof. It's just, hey, we. We kind of stopped the bleeding for now. We need to actually come up with a way to fix this in the future. But, you know, you know, you definitely can't be, I guess, like that attached to any of your solutions because everything's always going to improve. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. Just that perspective that you have on a lot of the work that you do. It, it like you really have like this emphasis on like kind of addressing the situation and there's really very little ego that kind of goes into it. You know, it doesn't matter if you're slapping band-aids or if you're you're gluing popsicle sticks together for it. Like you're you're trying to plug the hole. Like that's all that's important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I think it kind of goes into the whole mindset of, you know, everyone's working towards the same goal. So, you know, kind of you need know, to put your ego aside because you're part of a bigger team. Yeah. When do you think like uh, when do you think that that sort of like realization happened for you? Uh, probably a couple of years ago. I don't know. It's still something that you're, you're always working on. You know, there's, I still find myself these days, like something comes up and I'll just be like, Oh, that's not my area of ownership. And just like toss it over the fence. It's like, no, <laughs> don't do that. Like you can do a little bit of research before just throwing that over the fence. But it's definitely been a mindset shift within the last couple of years. You know, I, I definitely can think of way too many times early in my career where, you know, a QA engineer came to me with an issue and I just got instantly defensive. Like, no, that's not my issue. What is this <laughs> test case? What are you doing? And it's like, no, you know, it's, we're all part of the same team. They're doing their job of trying to make sure, you know, there's no bugs in what you're trying mm -hmm. to release. And, you know, it's pretty easy to just kind of slap something to, together, you know, especially if you're getting towards the end of the sprint, you're like, yeah, I'm going to get this out. You know, I can cut a couple corners here and get this out fast. And yeah, you know, I think never assuming negative connotations from anyone is definitely just the mindset shift that 
has happened. Yeah. And you're a manager now too, right? Is that, is that something that you're, you're kind of, uh, either looking for or trying to cultivate in, in people now? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely, you know, if I can find someone who already has that, that's great, but you know, that's definitely not a mindset that, you know, can't be acquired. So, you know, definitely one thing I'm looking for is someone who's, you know, open to communication and is willing to talk through issues and work collaboratively with the team. Cause really, you know, that's my biggest thing is I've got a solid team already. How are you going to come in, you know, interject your point of view, the way you do things, but also absorb from others. And, you know, it's just kind of this delicate balance of like, you know, you interjecting yourself while also taking on parts from the existing team. Yeah. I guess like what, what kind of advice would you have for people who are are like trying to find that delicate balance there? Like I'm new, I'm going to be joining your team. Like how do I figure out like, where do I carve out my space? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, one of the biggest things is just be willing to communicate with the team, you know, be willing to accept, Hey, I don't know a lot about this. Can you tell me more? Or if you do feel confident and like, you know, you've got a lot of information on a different subject, don't be afraid to interject, but do it in, you know, an approachable way and not just coming off like a huge dick of like, no, this is how you do it. You know, just be like, hey, have we thought about doing it this way? I've done it a couple of ways in the past and it's worked for me. Mm, and then yeah. you can get that conversation going of, oh, no, we didn't think about that, or we did think about that, here's why we chose not to go that way. But you at least get that back and forth going rather than, you know, just slamming your foot down and saying, no, we need to do it this way. Yeah, yeah. I guess, like, what, uh, I guess, what what would you say to folks who are like, well, I just don't feel like I have anything to add yet. Like, I, I'm just going to sit and absorb for a bit, looking at you, yeah. Al. Hey, yeah, that's that's totally happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's nothing wrong with sitting back and absorbing too. You know, there's no, there's nothing wrong about just not feeling like you are confident in certain areas. You know, it's, there's always, so I'm on, I think my sixth company now. And so it's, there's always this ramp up time where you join a new company and you're feeling very timid and like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't feel confident in stepping in and architecture decisions. And every company I've been at, there's been a moment where it clicks, but it's, I realize it like two months later, it's like, oh wait, (laughs) I've been contributing, you know, and I feel way more confident about how things work. You never really have that, you know, singular aha moment. It's more, at least in my experience, has been this gradual, shift as you take on more and then you look back you know and you're like oh wait i've been doing way more in the last two months than i was doing my first six months here yeah 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 i i think that you know i i think back to a lot of my experiences too and and i i think that that's pretty similar it's kind of a it's hard to to sort of be aware of those gradual shifts as you're going through it and it's really only those moments, you know, at the end of the year or whatever, when you're kind of reflecting back where you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I guess I have been doing this for a bit now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually had this conversation with my my boss here uh, at the company I'm wor- I've been working for for, I guess, a little over a month now. 
the whole sitting back and absorbing things and not contributing until later on. Um, the way he had put it was that it, it brings uh, a calming presence to meetings. Like I'm, I'm here listening to everything everyone's saying. Um, and what, what generally happens for folks like that is they're not getting caught up in the moment, trying to get something out of their mouths for the sake of speaking. But at, at the end of the, the meeting, I tend to come up with, you know, some more insightful thoughts that may not have been captured during conversations because I'm building context that other people, you know, miss uh, in, in the, the throes of conversation. Um, and so, you know, like, like you said, Bobby, it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, contributing when it matters um, and understanding, you know, not not to lose your voice at the end of the day, uh, because there there is significant knowledge uh, that you can contribute to. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, I think you brought up a good point of, you know, not all decisions or, you know, conversations need to take place in meetings. Like sometimes meetings can just be you gathering information to stew on for a bit and then, you know, either have a follow-up discussion, follow-up meeting, but, you know, not everything needs to take place in some arbitrary time-boxed hour time frame where, you know, a group of six people were together. Yeah, I, I really like that distinction. There's, uh, I for whatever reason, people feel like decisions have to be made and, and uh, you know, progress has to be made within a, a time-boxed amount of time. Like, when you frame it that way, it sounds kind of ridiculous, right? Exactly. I found 30 minutes on eight people's calendars. So we're going to solve all of our problems right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one of the big, so like one of the big topics of the this show and part of one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have you on, Bobby, like we, we talk a lot about like just the human as, aspect of software engineering, right? Uh, I think it's it's readily apparent to, to uh, all of us that yeah, there's way more to software than just like the technologies, the languages you're learning. Um, and, and I, and I feel like you're somebody who, who has a really good grasp of that, you know, uh, for, for folks who don't know, like we've worked together in, in previous jobs before. And, uh, Bobby's always been one of those types that he, uh, very quickly gathers the, the, the hearts and minds of his people, you know, <laughs> What's really interesting from your past, you've come from uh, uh, being a direct, uh, uh, an individual contributor and transitioned over to, to managing the very same team that you were essentially teammates with, right? Yep. Yeah. How was that experience? You know, it, there's definitely a lot of awkwardness right at the start. Like those first probably month of one-on-ones is just like, hey, you know, our dynamic has shifted a little bit, but I think you just need to tackle that awkwardness just right off the bat. Just like, yeah, this is going to feel weird for a bit. Um, you know, I still, you know, see you as a friend and a colleague, you know, just because my position in the team has changed doesn't mean our dynamic has changed. If anything, you know, I know a lot about everyone on my team and, you know, where their pain points were, uh, what their career aspirations were. So I feel like it just helped me 
have more of an impact on them of helping them reach where they want to get to. Um, but then I also knew about the challenges that my team had faced in the past and, you know, where we had, I don't want to say a lack of leadership, but like some letdowns within our leadership. Um, you know, there's a lot of projects where we weren't fully aligned with the business. And so we would, you know, try to rush a feature out and it never got released to anyone and just kind of sat there for years unreleased uh. and still just kind of accruing <laughs> tech debt. So I, you know, that was definitely one of my big things is making sure that that void was filled with, you know, Hey, what are we work on working on? How does that roll up to the business goals? Are we delivering value or are we just kind of wasting cycles for the sake of having a team of engineers work on something? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, because you had a prior relationship with the with the team that coming in to, to manage that situation was, do you feel like that made it easier? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, I, you know, going back to what I had said, you know, it was just, I had that strong personal connection with everyone on the team. Like I've definitely noticed as I've, you know, had to bring on new engineers to the squad, you know, I kind of took for granted when I first got into management, I didn't really have to do a lot of that relationship building. It was already just there. So, yeah. yeah. So it was nice not having to do the relationship building with the team. And also I had domain knowledge of what my team owned. So it was pretty easy to answer questions and, yeah. you know, prevent shoulder taps for the team. And then, you know, I moved to a different team and realized I, knew nothing about what the company would actually was doing and how it functioned. <laughs> as as a, a new engineer coming onto a team, what sort of advice could you give to help them jumpstart that relationship with uh, their manager? So someone like you. Definitely. I think just, you know, having open discussions with your manager, you know, not being afraid when, so I always ask, you know, my new hires, hey, how is onboarding? Do you have everything that you need? You know, have there been any difficulties? How is our onboarding uh, documentation? What's, was there anything missing from it? I think just being open and honest with all those questions. Um, you know, if you tell me that our onboard onboarding documentation is incomplete and you had to do a lot more extra work, cool that's an issue with our onboarding documentation and not like, you know, any kind of downside on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, uh, that I think that like going through a lot of that relationship building is, is it, like, it's difficult for everybody. Um, especially now. Uh, I think like, how has that kind of factored into everything for you? Yeah, it's definitely a lot harder. Uh, you know, I've been working remote since March, so nine months now. Um, I realized pretty quickly how much relationship building was just very informal, hanging out at the desk and just chatting, you know, like late in the day, you know, on top of our regular one-on-ones. So, you know, it's been a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, I think most engineers, when you have your manager just slap you, hey, do you have time to chat? You know, you'll, 
some alarm bells start going off in your head. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, luckily I knew from my past not to do that, uh, just from my previous experiences. So it's just, you know, trying to carve out extra time, getting some, you know, still putting things on people's calendars, uh, but being mindful of what time of day it is. But really for my team, it's, we've been doing just Zoom happy hours every three weeks to a month. And just taking that time as, hey, you know, we are not doing any work. We are not talking about work during these. We're just gonna relax. We're gonna play Among Us or some Jackbox games and just hang out and you know just get to know each other more because it's so hard to do it in this remote setting mm -hmm. do, you, do you find that there's a do you ever find that there's folks who are like eh, i'd rather just work yeah definitely i definitely have some <laughs> some people on my team who are like um no i'd rather just knock out two more tickets in that hour uh, <laughs> which is fine and you know you just need to find stuff that works for everyone um you know, some people, just a simple weekly one-on-one, -on -one, you're able to open up with each other enough that, you know, you don't really need to do anything supplemental on top of that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of, uh, I feel like a lot of that, like, team building is just really, really uh, hit or miss these days. And, and it's kind of hard to find the, uh, the silver bullet, if one even exists. Yeah, it's... You know, the easiest way to, to figure out what works and doesn't work is to just talk with the team. Hey, how did you like that? You know, not, you know, what I do isn't going to work for every team. And, you know, I definitely iterated a lot on what I do because, you know, it's reading some blog post to, or, you know, getting something from HR for an idea isn't going to work for all teams in all situations. So I think just having those open conversations, you know, I even do that with how my team functions in our day-to-day, -day. Um, you know, just, hey, how's our process working? Can, you know, do you feel anything is not working for you that we can change? Um, so it's, it's just kind of this ever-evolving way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. Kind of on that, on that topic, it's um, obviously as a, as a manager, you have you're you're privy to a little bit more information about where the company is how it's going how does that sort of reconcile with your your own perceptions um that you had as an engineer yeah i think you know as an engineer it always seemed like managers and up knew what they're doing because you're just getting, you know, the final decisions and like, hey, this is what we're doing or, you know, we're going to implement this new process. And I think going up one more level, you realize there's a lot that happens before that decision <laughs> is finally reached. You know, I think I've had it said to me a few times of, you know, you're seeing how the sausage is made. And, you know, it. I think it really opened my eyes to, you know, my leadership didn't, doesn't have all the answers, you know, it seems like it because they just communicate the answers, but yeah. there's really a lot of discussion and trial and error happening that you don't really see, you know, it's behind the scenes because honestly, you know, they're just kind of try things out and have discussions about potential impacts and, you know, for your engineer day to day, it 
you know, so a lot of things just won't affect you. And for things that do affect you, they're going to talk through a bunch of different scenarios. So it's not worth, you know, worrying about, you know, possibilities A through <laughs> F, you know, you really just need to worry about, Hey, here's, we chose D. So what do you think about it? Yeah. Right. Just kind of feels random sometimes. <laughs> yep. Do you do you ever have situations, and this is coming from my experience as an engineer, where I didn't have confidence in the decisions that my managers were making? Like, as as a manager yourself, what what sort of things can you do in those cases to sort of help the engineers feel at ease about these decisions that are happening that may not make sense to an engineer who doesn't have context. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, biggest thing is to help talk through why they do not agree, talk through those concerns, provide that additional context. And really if engineers are raising valid concerns that, you know, was not taken into account during the decision-making process, raising those up too. You know, I think it's definitely a, a balance of, you know, not raising up every single thing. And, you know, if it's something that really doesn't matter a lot in the long run, you know, you don't want to be the, the boy who cried wolf, but you know, it's, there's a balance of finding, Hey, this is a valid concern. We did not think about this. We need to rethink the decision we came to. Yeah. I think uh, another hard part about management too uh, is that sometimes these decisions are out of out of your hands, but you're the one that has to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a lot of uh, disagree and commit that you have to do as a manager where, you know, you will have conversations with, you know, other managers or leadership above you and voice your concern and how you don't dis how you disagree. And at the end of the day, a lot of these decisions are not in my hands. And so I need to then turn around and talk, you know, talk through with my team, Hey, this new thing's coming up, you know, let's talk through concerns you have. I'll tell you the yeah. concerns I had and what, you know, what I was told from leadership above me that got me to be okay with this. Yeah. I think that sharing that information is is, uh, is is critical to that. You know, it, it's sort of funny. I, as you were saying that, I was just kind of thinking, like, it, it's it's common advice to, to tell people, you know, who are just starting their careers in, in tech and in software that, like, yeah, actually teamwork and getting along with your team and, and making friends, like uh, making friends, colleagues, peers, learning from them, that ability is so, so important to your own success but it, in, in a kind of a funny way, I sort of feel like the same exact advice uh, applies to managers too, you know? Like, it's a lot easier to disagree and commit when the managers are, when you can view them as, you know, as peers, colleagues, friends, uh, people you have actual relationships with. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a good concept uh, in a book I've been reading from uh, Simon Sinek, but there's different chemicals in your brain that get released when you're comfortable and feel like you're in a tight knit community. That's all working towards the same goal, as opposed to, you know, you're watching out for other teams or other departments of your company. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely 
you know, different things happen in your brain when you have that comfort level with everyone around you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I guess overall, Bobby, if, you know, what, one of our, our, our main audiences right now are a lot of people who are just barely getting started in software, either it's their very first job or they're looking for their very first job. What advice would you kind of have for them? Um, like one of the most common questions is like, what do I focus on? Right. What, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I would say, you know, make sure you're communicating your eagerness to come into a company and learn and grow. You know, I think on the unfortunate part of a lot of engineering interviews is so much of it is still stuck on these coding exercises and these, you know, insane algorithm questions that you'll, you know, you're never going to use a, a red black tree in your entire time, you know, coding at some small company. Uh, so I think a lot gets lost in the technical acumen of an interview process and it gives this kind of wrong, or I guess it's not wrong. It gives kind of this viewpoint that the company really just cares about, you know, I can code yeah. circles around everyone else. And, you know, I'm going to be knocking out PRs every hour. <laughs> really, you know, the thing I look for is that you're coming in and willing to learn from the engineers we already have and to bring your unique perspective and grow. Yeah. You know, you know how to do PRs every single hour? You put a bug into production. You'll get PRs yeah. out real fast after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty easy to, to game the system if, you know, you have goals around PRs every hour, PRs under certain lines. Like, well, yeah. I'm just going to commit tons of PRs and, you know, <laughs> oh, this PR just had some white space changes, but it still counts. <laughs> you guys are giving away my, my, my whole game here. <laughs> <laughs> I just introduced the linter to our code base. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's like tens of thousands of changes. Now everyone's going to blame me, literally. <laughs> yeah. That's that's I think that's really great advice. Um I know coming out of college years and years ago, there was a very big emphasis on know these algorithms and 8 years later, I haven't used any of them. Um, that's, that's, that's not to say that they're important. You might end up using them, but at that point, it's, it's one of those things where you can just look it up again and see how it fits into whatever problem you're solving, right? Like it's literally find the jigsaw piece for the puzzle you're solving. Yeah, exactly. It's just another tool that you can use that, you know, really in the grand scheme of things doesn't have too much of an impact overall as how you are as an engineer. You know, I think a willingness to work with others and to help mentor others and receive mentorship from others is way more important than, you know, knowing obscure algorithms for <laughs> insane <Yeah>. problems. <laughs> how do you uh, how do you find that first person that you're going to be like, oh, this is the dude I'm going to learn from? How do you find that person? You know, I think. Most companies, you know, they'll set you up with a tech buddy and 
sometimes that hits and it's perfect and you've found that person, but a lot of the times it's not going to work like that. And it's just kind of up to you to, you know, look at PRs or, you know, peruse some Slack channels that have a lot of engineers in it and to, you know, even just set up one-on-ones with certain people that you see that are very active and to just talk through, I think, you know, a lot of times it, it kind of comes up in a 30 minute conversation of, yeah, I would enjoy, you know, talking more with this person and learning from them. And other times, you know, a 30 minute conversation, it's like, cool, you clearly do not have time for this or show no interest in this. So <laughs> yeah, the complete opposite happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. How many of those have you run into in your, in your career? Uh, too many to even be worth <laughs> spending any time to worry about. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. There's a, that, that's the unfortunate side, right? It, like, honestly, one of my hopes is that like, as, as this industry gets older, gets more mature and everything, uh, we start to see less and less of that in general, you know? Uh, people start to figure out, oh yeah, you know, there, there's actually a lot of other qualities that are, that are kind of table stakes and they become table stakes. And uh, slowly over time, we just kind of rid ourselves of some of those um, less desirable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it just comes down to, you know, anyone can pick up coding, but it takes a lot more effort to be a you know, good person and someone that's easy to work with and willing to work with others. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's the part that like, I, I really, really, uh, find myself attracted to, you know, when I see people, um, in the workplace who really exhibit that, like something about that draws me to them, you know, like, wow, that person over there, they took time out of their day to, uh, help onboard somebody on something completely random or some issue cropped up and they were the first to answer the, the Slack message knowing full well, they have no idea what's going to come from this. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think a lot of those people, you know, with that high drive to work as a team, you know, may, unwillingly, you know, make it known pretty easily to others that, hey, you know, this person's willing to help out, you know, they're willing to jump in, they're active in, you know, a lot of different conversations going on, you know, or, you know, they're always doing uh, pull request reviews for people, you know, I think a lot of those things, you know, they may seem minuscule as you're doing it, but they can have a pretty big impact on your organization. Yeah, yeah. You know, on, on that topic of impact, I'm kind of curious how you feel. Um, I've gotten this, I, I've gotten these kinds of comments before where people are like, well, to be honest, it's like, yeah, I enjoy doing that, but the company just doesn't value it as much as the dude is cranking out 10 PRs a, a day, a week. Like, how do I move up? How do I, how do I continue to advance? Yeah, that's definitely a difficult discussion that I think, you know, even my company is still trying to figure out, you know, what does, what's the differentiator and the different levels, you know, what are the actual qualities we're looking for? And, you know, luckily at my company, a lot of promotion discussions really come down to your manager really 
you know, talking about what you've done, the growth that you've shown since the last review period. And so, you know, it's sometimes can be frustrating. There isn't this strong, you know, checklist of things that you have to do. But at the same time, it's also nice that, you know, you can really show, hey, this person may not have done the traditional things that grew their influence, but here's what they did. And they've been having a huge impact and, you know, really talk through the impact that they've had from what they've been doing. Is, is that the, the concept of a force multiplier on a team where their own individual contributions aren't big, but they enable the rest of their team to do even more? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, being a force multiplier is definitely one of the things that, you know, differentiates an engineer from a senior engineer beyond, you know, not only are you, you know, a solid squad contributor, but what you do, you know, can be reused by others or, you know, you fix some broken process that was causing, you know, X extra hours per engineer per week. So yeah, finding those things that, you know, allow you to, you know, you push through one piece of work, but it helps others. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of folks who don't necessarily view being becoming a force multiplier as like that, that kind of, um, that, that, that great goal, you know, like, I think a lot of people, when they think about like, Oh, I want to get really, really good at this. They sort of think about like the, the individual contributor, like I'm able to knock out this big project or whatever. They don't really think about like, I want to be able to actually make an entire team this much more effective. Right. I think like there's something there that's sort of missing and, and I, I, I want to get your take on it. Like how do, how do we communicate and convince people that that's actually incredibly valuable to have? Yeah. I think one thing that I've done in the past as a way to focus people on it is, you know, setting that kind of conversation around being a force multiplier and goal setting, but not, you know, writing a goal, become a force multiplier in 2021. <laughs> but, you know, there's tons of ways to be a force multiplier, whether that's, you know, if you're going to, when you tech lead initiatives, like having, you know, easy to read stories that, you know, no one's asking, Hey, how do I accept this story? Or what is, you know, what are my, you know, requirements for this story, but having those stories written out ahead of time so that everyone can just pop them off the top of the backlog, work it through and get it through. You know, I think that's one way that you can be a force multiplier where, you know, everyone wants to tech lead initiatives because that is, you know, this traditional growth area, but adding that little extra bit on that goal of not only being a tech lead, but, you know, finding some way to measure, you know, throughput and questions per ticket, you know, I think is a way that you can kind of hack together, you know, this traditional sense of a goal and growth with working in the force multiplication. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, what do you think? I think it's, it's hard to measure false or not false force multiplication <laughs> efforts because 
when when people think about metrics, they think about things that you can actually measure the hard numbers, like we've mentioned before. Um, and and for a lot of force multipliers, the folks that I've I've worked with in the past, it's the small things that they do that aren't necessarily measured. It's the mentoring that they provide. It's the the uh, I guess presentations they give on the things that they learned at conferences, or if they're giving a, a talk at a conference, they give it to the team too. Um, those things aren't necessarily measurable. Uh, the, the effects of those things aren't measurable, but um, in, in a lot of sense, it's the knowledge that they share that helps the team grow. And because everyone's sort of learning from this person, that in itself is valuable. But like I said, it's very hard to measure that. Um, and you generally see it more as a a team metric as opposed to an individual metric, like how how is the team performing with in, in the presence of this individual versus before they were here, right? Um, but when when setting goals, uh, like you said, Bobby, it's it's not as simple as I'm going to become a force multiplier. It's uh, I'm going to help mentor someone. It's it's I'm going to take on these tedious stories that no one wants to touch, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so it's it's the small things like that. Yeah. How how do we get people to to more willingly pick that up, to, to take that on. I don't know. Managers, how do you motivate yeah. people? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. You know, it's tough finding, you know, the right way to motivate people to, you know, Hey, you see that tire fire over there that no one has solved in the past <laughs> two years. Go, go fix that. You know, it's definitely hard, you know, you got to work to find, you know, what, what motivates different individuals. You know, I definitely have some members on my team now who are very driven on solving, you know, problems where others have failed to solve them in the past. And Mm -hmm. I think that's been a very nice motivator to find, uh, especially with my current ownership of, you know, it's pretty legacy stuff. And so I think, finding that person and bringing them over to my squad has definitely been big, but yeah, you, you know, I have a slide that I've used that's got like 30 different motivators and I use that in my one-on-ones just like, Hey, read through this. What's really jumping out to you as a motivator and having that conversation so that I then know, you know, when the time comes of, Hey, you know, this dependency has a, security vulnerability who can jump in on that you know like who really has that motivation to like help you know secure our our code or you know is willing to jump in and you know solve some old problems yeah at the end of the day it sounds like it's matching the people up with the problems you're trying to solve instead of just trying to cram problems to everyone right exactly yeah it's you know, you can pound the square peg into the round hole and it'll eventually work, but it's a lot easier. To <laughs> you might break t- something in the wood. Yeah, yeah, you might break someone, but, you know, it's it's way easier to take the little extra time and try to find a, a good match. Yeah, I think that that's, just broadly speaking, I think that's that's probably one of the hardest things, at least, that I've found difficult about management and... 
because sometimes like honestly they're 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 not a round peg or a square peg they're they're sort of just a block of wood and and you sort of have to whittle them and get them to kind of um like cultivate ambition in them you know because sometimes people don't necessarily realize that they're like actually yeah maybe i do want to solve some problem that's been plaguing us for you know the last five years maybe it's due to like a lack of confidence or a lack of like just perceived capability that they're like i could never do something like that and you sort of have to cultivate that in them you know be like no dude you absolutely can do that and you should (laughs) yeah i think you know definitely a big part of management is just giving people those nudges into you know, the different areas, you know, sometimes they need a little encouragement to go into the deep end and then realize, oh, I can do this. And, you know, this is something I want to do. Um, yeah, we're, we're almost out of time. So thank you so much, uh, Bobby, for joining us today and kind of sharing a lot of your experiences and things that you've, you've gone through. Um, I think that while uh, while it's always fun for, for me and Alan to sit here and talk, uh, sometimes it gets a little echo chambery and, and you know, we, we want to introduce new voices, new perspectives of, uh, of similar folks who've, who've gone through what we've gone through, you know, um, and who've gone through experiences that neither of us have. So, uh, again, I really want to just thank you for, for taking the time out of your day to do this. Um, yeah, yeah. What would you like the people to know? Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. It's been good. You know, it's always nice to be put in a situation where you have to articulate thoughts that you have or, you know, <laughs> different different stances you have on things. So, you know, it's always a nice exercise to come on and, you know, talk through with other people. So I appreciate this. Awesome. So uh, that's the episode for the week. Thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Remember to uh, like, subscribe, and ring that notification bell. And uh, uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter. No, seriously, though, uh, we absolutely want to know what you guys are thinking, what questions you have. Reach out to us. Um, uh, Again, our Twitter is uh, underscore whip podcast on Twitter. So give us a follow. Or or tell me why I should use Vim. Or Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, real quick. Out of all three of us, does anybody actually use Vim on a regular basis beyond Git? No? No? No. (laughs) There you go. So tweet at us and let us know why we are dead wrong on that front. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, episodes are released weekly, so be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also reach us on Twitter at underscore whip podcast. Come say hello and tell us what's on your mind. Until next time, remember, we're all a work in progress.